0: Hey, buddies, fellow Franco fans, it is I, your host, Jason Rudy from Desperate Visions Productions. Uh, And right now we're in post production, of course, on the two films, going ever so slowly, but uh, they are moving ahead uh, with care and um, singularity, so it's always the way to be. Um, Before I jump into it, I just want to say I just got back from seeing The Batman as I record this. in modern times, here, uh, what is this? Twenty twenty-two or twenty twenty twenty-two? Yeah, two zero two two. And uh, yeah, I very much enjoyed it. I thought Colin Farrell was amazing as the uh, penguin, um, and of course uh, Robert Pattinson was good. And uh, Batmobile rocked, and uh, I loved all the uh, visual stuff in it and everything. So yeah, it was just a little bit too long. I wish they would have trimmed it down in a few sections. Maybe it took about. 20 minutes off it would have been a lot tighter so but yeah overall i thought it was really cool Uh, i'm not sure if you listeners are comic book fans or anything or if you're batman movie fans or what but yeah i really enjoyed it i thought it was one of the better batman films so if you get a chance to check it out in theaters i uh, recommend it so and something else that we can either recommend or disrecommend is uh depending on your love or Uh, fault of films is this film, Film 21 right now from Mr. Jess Franco and the film in question is Justine. Uh, Justine is a West German Italy and Liechtenstein USA and UK co-productions. So uh, you see all these countries here and uh, you would be right in guessing that Harry Allen Towers is the famous producer uh, on the earlier episodes, we'd done more of the Harry On Towers films, and now we're going through wrapping up the ones that we skipped over. And Harry On Towers was pretty famous for being a producer, not with as much of his own money as of with making deals and using all these other people's money in lieu of his money. So he was a good uh, good guy to get together, to basically get all these people together that had all these money. So yeah, you had West Germany, Italy. Liechtenstein, USA, and UK. So he had five different partners in this. Uh, 1968 is the year in question. Uh, the original theatrical title in Country of Origin uh, is... will check my time here. looks good. Is uh, Marquis de Sade Justine. That's the German theatrical one. Um, the Italian theatrical title is uh, Justine Overo e Le... Disavventure Dele virtu. uh, Virtue. The uh, disavow of virtue, virtuous. Justine and Julietta, uh, UK theatrical. Oh, that's interesting. Justine and Juliette. That's her sister. Uh, Note: There is no Liechtenstein version of the film. All right, so yeah, we have the German version, the Italian, and UK. Alternative titles, uh, on-screen USA-UK theatrical is uh, Marquis de Sade's Justine. Uh, French theatrical is uh, Les Infortunes de la virtu, The Infortunes of the Virtuous. Uh, French theatrical poster, De Sade, Les Infortunes de la virtu, And French theatrical, Justine ou Les Infortunes de la virtu. Uh, Deadly Sanctuary was the U.S. video version that we'll learn more about later. Uh, and then Una Pesion Mortel, Spanish video, and Dulce Justine, Spanish video. And uh, yeah, it looks mostly a few other BBC, you know, mission sheets and stuff, misfortunes, virtue, and all that. All right, uh, production companies that uh, Mr. Towers got together on this one is uh, Corona Film Production out of Munich, uh, AICA, AICA, Cinematographia, out of Rome. Uh, Etablissement Sargon, out of Vaduz Liechtenstein, And then you have the mighty AIP, American International Pictures, out of Los Angeles, California, Home of the Doors. And then finally, uh, Towers of London, uh, out of London. that's Harry Allen Towers Company, uncredited, of course, because he didn't use money. Well, I'm sure he used some. Uh, and then, of course, 1968 um, establishment Sargon out of Liechtenstein, English language prints. Theatrical distributors on this: uh, Constantin mm-hmm. Films out of Munich, uh, C I D I F, Consorzio Italiano Distributore Independenti Film. Uh, American International Pictures, of course, uh, Los Angeles. And finally, Anthony Balick Films Limited out of London. Of course, we get all information out of Murderous Passions, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco, Volume 1, by Stephen Thrower. Uh, all right, so a timeline on this. Shooting date, uh, May 21st to June 23rd, 1968. So just about a month, not bad. Uh, 30 days or so. Um The Italian visa issued was April 1st, uh, April Fool's Day of 1969. And it played Italy-Rome on April 5th of 1969. And let's see, Germany, consort, certificate, uh, May 27th of 69. And let's see, uh, West Germany, June 13th, 1969. Played France, March 4th, 1970. And UK the X issued as Justine and Julietta on July twenty eighth, nineteen seventy one. Uh, so yeah, you see that they have the Italy, Germany, West, or yeah, Italy, uh, West Germany, France, and UK. But you see no USA, and you'll soon learn why. Uh, theatrical running time: uh, France one oh five minutes, West Germany one oh two, and UK one oh four minutes. Cast on this, uh, I'll go through everybody, but just give you some of the highlights here. Uh, Klaus Kinski, of course, as the Marquis de Sade. Kind of a wasted role for him, which he had a few wasted roles for um, Jess. Uh, Romina Power plays Justine. Maria Rome plays Juliet. Uh, Rose Mary Dexter plays Claudine, a prostitute. Uh, Carmen Delirio plays Madame de Bisson, a brothel owner. The great Akim Tamaroff plays Monsieur de Harpin. Uh, Mercedes Cambridge is awesome. Uh, Madame Duguay, the condemned prisoner. Uh, Serena Vergano. Um, let's see, Mike Brindell is in here. Awesome as Pierre. Uh, Harold Lepetz as Ramona Artist. Horst Frank as Marquis de Brissac. Angel Petit as Jemin, the Marquis' friend. Uh, Sylvia Cosina, Howard Vernon, Jack Palance, Rosalba Neri, Really good cast on this if you look at it. I haven't watched this in a long time, but yeah, you got Kinsky, Rome, Akim Tarmarov, with Cambridge. You have them of 99 Women. Then you got uh, Mike Brindell, of course, from the earlier Franco films, and with Angel Petit. Um, and then, of course, Howard Vernon, and uh, from the old cast, and then Rosalba Neary like this is her third film or fourth film by now she had 90 women in this and and uh, Lucky and stuff so and then uh, uh, and then, of course Jess Franco so yeah really really good uh, mix and match here as I look through the credits uh, direct course by Jess Franco screenplay Harry Allen Towers as Peter Welbeck uh, Eric Kronke, yeah, Okay, based on the novel Justine ou les de Les Virtues by the Marquis de Sade. Uh, director of Photography, Manuel Marino. Um, editor, Nicholas Wentworth. Bruno. Uh, music by Bruno Nicolai. Uh, produced by Harry Owen Towers, of course. And let's see who else we see here that catches my eye. Uh, good, looks good. Okay. So, uh, production notes. I'm not going to go through all these, but I'm going to just knock off some of the things I was reading earlier. Uh, Justine, based on the scandalous 18th century novel by the Marquis de Sade, was made by Jess Franco in Spain in the summer of 1968. It's a lavish, well-upholstered production with plenty of its reputed $1 million budget up on the screen. However, for a variety of reasons, ranging from bad casting to the commercial and censorship pressures of the day, it failed to achieve its director's ambitions. According to Franco, the initial suggestion to make the film came from Harry Allen Towers, who gave him a script he had been working on, based on the Marquis de Sade's Justine. Franco approved the treatment and leaped at the chance to bring one of his favorite writers to the screen. According to Towers, the film was initially set up as a Spanish-Italian-French co-production, but after reading the script, the the Spanish co-production... the... Spanish co-producers declared that they would have to pull out because of the high likelihood of trouble from the Spanish authorities. Nevertheless, the production was shot in Spain for seven weeks, actually more than four, in Barcelona's picturesque Gothic Quarter, which had the unfortunate effect of drawing attention from the Spanish authorities. The Dirección General de Espectrales demanded the Disciplinary proceedings be instigated against the production, and the incident further soured Franco's already factuous relationship with the Spanish film establishment. Though bought by AIP for American distribution, Justine appears never to have been shown in U.S. cinemas. Um, in fact, the first American release for Jess Franco's film came in 1986 when it was released on video under the title Deadly Sanctuary. The reason would seem to have a lot to do with AIP's uh, concurrent production DeSaud, 1969, a hugely expensive and ill-fated project which was completed by an uncredited Roger Corman after director Sai Endfell dropped out. Having thrown so much money at this project, AIP may have decided that the Towers Franco film acquired as part of the package was likely to hinder the financial returns of their own production, and so quietly shelved it. Alright, review by Stephen Thrower. I'm just going to go over some of his review. Uh, Despite a great cast and high production values, the story of a virtuous, innocent, hanging-on to her morals and her hymen while being abused by an all-and-sundry lacks the essential aura of Cedian malevolence. Um, despite some memorable sequences, the tone wavers drastically and at times sinks to comedic, comedic bodiness more akin to the carry-on films than the lacering wit of the Marquis. At over two hours long, and with little sex and violence, Justine tends to drag, and while the attractive Barcelona locations afford plentiful eye candy, you would hope for more than a well-heeled costume drama from an adaptation of one of the most shocking novels ever written. For all of its risque elements, and the scent here and there of Saad's cruel humor, Justine is almost as chaste and uptight as its heroine. Its knees are firmly locked together, its asshole tightly clenched. <laughs> Flashing just a few heaving bosoms, G- Justine is governed by the limitations forced upon it by its American producers, by Tower's lackluster, lackluster script, and the failings of its inexpressive female lead. Uh, the latter issue was especially vexatious to Franco. He attended the role of Justine for the English actress Rosemary Dexter, but found himself at the last minute forced to cast Tyrone Power's daughter, Romina. Um, let's see. It says, uh, basically, that, uh, he, he, Franco's quoted is saying that uh, Power was in, totally incapable of playing a masochist character, uh, thus I was forced to change the whole screenplay, turning it into like Disney-like fairy tale, where the girl has become a simpleton lost in a nightmare's forest. Uh, he says, it was very difficult for me because she was a passenger wandering around as if I were making Bambi 2. Um, let's see. Uh, so it says that, you know, like, basically goes over the... Um, Basis of the film, but I'm not going to go all over all that. But yeah, he says that basically, um, uh, wonderful though it is to see Klaus Kinski play the Marquis de Sade, which is great casting. Uh, These wraparound scenes are largely superfluous, and it's actually quite a perverse waste of Kinski's talents to have him simply pacing and scribbling when he could have delivered so much more. Yeah, that's one thing I will say, um, because I haven't watched it yet. I, I saw this film years ago when I first, before I got into Jess Franco and watched it for Klaus Kinski and everything and Jack Palance. And yeah, I remember thinking that it was cool to see Kinski as Markita Saw in this, but his performance is, is wasted, you know? <clears throat> to have him did not do anything like that. Um, let's see. He goes through... Um, Despite the fact that Justine proposes itself as a literary adaptation, there are times when the vulgarization of an Assad is so grievous that one must try to forget the source material and look upon the film as just a racier-than-average period romp. In the misplaced moral scheme of the Tower script, we're supposed to feel sympathy for poor Justine, even as we get our jollies watching her molested. Personally, though, I wasn't buying it for a minute. I lost what simple... Okay, let's see... Uh buh, 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 yeah. So yeah, it's basically um Okay. So yeah, he's talking about his own ideas as things. Uh okay, so let's see. Um Fortunately two magnificent actors, Jack Palance and Mercedes Marse- Mercedes McCambridge, sorry breathe such fire into their roles that they make the film worth watching. Many of the Franco Towers films both prestigious acting talent, but these two trumped the a lot of them and the lot is including Christopher Lee, George Sanders, uh, Leo Glenn, Klaus Kinski and Herbert Law. Um Mercedes-Benz Cambridge is fast becoming one of my favorite actresses on the basis of Justine and 99 Women. In both films, she outclasses everyone around her. Just listen to her as Madame Dubois, libertine madame and master criminal, rasping as Romina Power and curling her tongue around an outrageous French accent. And you'll understand why William Freakin was so shrewd and perceptive, casting her as the voice of the demon in The Exorcist. As for Palance, playing the levacious lust-worshipper, Brother Antonion... Brother Antonon he gloriously he's gloriously out of control. According to Franco, his righteous his riotous performance was due to being utterly shit-faced on red wine by seven o'clock each morning. This may sound like an idle gossip, but watching him rant and rave and bounce off the scenery, you would happily lay money on the truth of it. Balance can barely speak without affecting some kind of demonical Grimace, delivering each syllable with the emphasis previously unendured by the English language. And so our search goes on and 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 on, he raves. Perhaps there's no end to it still. We seek for what, for what we do not know. He's like a force, Tingale, rushing through the film. The combination of a grand setting, the arcane poise of the Unholy Order, and the pugnant aura of Derangement as Palance soars over the top, saves Justine's later stages from sinking into tedium. If the whole film were as entertaining as this, it would be a masterpiece. Incidentally, during Palance's rant, there's a curious eclipse, possibly a missing line. Brother Antonin delivers, declares that he and his brethren are meditating on the supreme pleasure. Sadly, the audio fades down, and we don't hear what he that is. Knowing Saad it's either a murder... Cupcake or some stomach-churning combination of the two. All right, uh, buh, 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 buh. so I'm done with the film, kind of storyline, but yeah. Um, okay, Franco on screen. Uh, one of the highlights of this overstuffed romance is Franco's own role as the host of a body show featuring the reluctant Justine. The girl is compelled by. Madame Duis to pose nude in front of a packed house of leering theater goers as Franco front of the house delivers some cock and bull story about the girl being raised by monkeys, Bear, barking at her due to disrobe, he puts himself in the spotlight as a purveyor of pultritude. By now even by now, surely even the gentlest viewer has lost patience with Justine herself. If so, her awkwardness and embarrassment arouse nothing but the innocent merriment of the wicked. All right, cast and crew. A uh, 16-year-old Romina Power, the poor child, is hopeless as Justine, a failure for which Jess Franco and just about every critic of the film has enthous- enthusiastically trashed her, thrashed her ever since, metaphorically, of course. I'm sure Sod himself would thoroughly appreciate the shame that's been heaped upon her. It's with this in mind that I join in the revels. Pointing out, for instance, that the sullen and disinterested expression she wears when she, when told she must be searched bodily for Disroach's missing brooch, you'd think she was a hardened prison inmate going through the motions, where she ought to be a quivering wreck, humiliated beyond belief at the thought of being inspected in a room full of leering men. It's just not even a matter of unsuitability for sadomasochism. When the wicked Madame Dubois in Justine in her prison escape plan, and tells her to scream the place down at the allotted time. Power's performance has all the hysterical intensity of an Englishman hailing a cab. Uh, it's worth noting that Romina Power was engaged at the time to Albano Carisi, an Italian pop star with seven hit singles under his belt between 67 and 69. Power married him in 1970, two years after the Franco film was shot, and they began recording together. With the Albano-Powers relationship all over the gossip mags in 68, it was probably the film's Italian co-producers who were keener, keenest to get her into the production. Albano was also present on the set, which incensed Frank Almore. He was taking pictures, and he was a prick. That's funny. Uh, with the exception of the mar- marvelous title music, wisely recycled from or for Count Dracula the following year, Bruno Nicolai's score, Hearing its heaving its musical bosom like something from a Joan Crawford flick is a bit too treaty for my taste. If it's not laboring the romance, it's hammering home shivers slivers of misplaced whimsy. Embarrassing comedy music accompanies the lecherous disroached spying on Justine as she inadvertently bears her bottom. While performing her cleaning duty, while the revels of Madame Duguay the night before her supposed execution are scored to the kind of jolly old English music that, in my view, would simply justify smashing cinema seats. It's, it's far from the composer's finest works, but who cares? It pales in insignificance compared to his future work for Franco. Uh, studios filmed at A Studios Balacazar in Barcelona. Uh, locations, the prison where Justine meets Madame de Guis is the Castillo de Montjuich in Barcelona. Uh, de Bresnac's castle is the Palau Nacional in Saint montaguic Barcelona. The painter's house where Justine takes refuge is in the Guel Park in Barcelona. Street scenes and the arrest of Justine take place in Placa de Saint-Philippe Neri and Placadere in the Quetat Vela, Old City District. Uh, studio filming took place at Barcelona's Studio Balacazar, a UK theatrical release. Justine, under its UK release title, Justine and Juliet, was granted an X certificate. Uh, One fifteen minutes, film was cut by theatrical release was playing at Double Bill's in Piccadilly with uh, Erotic Fantasies, 1971. Okay, uh, Connection Donatanian Alfonso Francois de Sade, 1740 to 1814, is best known as the Marquis de Sade. He was a French aristocrat, philosopher, novelist, and political essayist whose work transformed literature. Contributed to the Enlightenment's understanding of the human condition, and revolutionized the conception of human sexuality. In the course of his life, he found himself violently at odds with church, state, and many of his contemporaries, spent long periods in prison, and in his prison life committed acts of sexual cruelty with women in his employment. I'm sorry, and in his private life, he, he, not his prison life, in his private life, committed acts of sexual cruelty with women in his appointment, which helped to blur the line between his real-life reputation and his writings. The History of Justine, uh, his best-known book, is complicated, as there are three quite different versions. It began as a novella called Les Infortunes de la Virtue, written by Saad, in his cell at the Bastille during June and July 1787, but never published in his lifetime. It was eventually published in France in 1930. In July 1789, two years later, he was transferred to the Bastille, to the asylum at Clarenton, where he was incarcerated for nearly a year before being released in April of 1790. Uh, At Liberty again, he rewrote and greatly expanded Les fortunes de la <clears> vertu, <throat> turning it into Justine, O'Le Maires de la Vertu, which was published anonymously in June, 1791. A third version, La Nouvelle Justine, O'Le Maires de la Vertu, was published in the Netherlands in a ten-volume edition between 1797 to 1801. This third variant changed the narrative voice from first person to third person and expanded the story to include the diametrically opposed experiences of Justine's sister, Julieta. Franco's film appears to have been based mostly on the second version, although cutaways to the story of Julieta suggest his familiarity with the third. In 1801... Assad was rearrested. He spent the rest of his life in prison until his death in 1814. So yeah, 13 years in prison until his death. Very sad. And the most widely read variant, Justine Ulemmerheri mm-hmm. de la Virtue. Historians where Justine struck by lightning in a version of the religious expectation of vice struck down and a logical culmination of the travels travails of virtue. Juliet then renounces her life of libertina, libertinage, uh, yeah, libertine libertinage, and heads off to in a carriage to join the to nuns. It's almost comically unsatisfying conclusion that feels blatantly tacked on, lasting as it does for just a page in a book of greatly great expansiveness on other matters. Of course, the prior intensity of lust and the sustained exposition of philosophical phil- philosophical argument. Rendered Julieta's final renunciation utterly unconvincing. We must recall that Napoleon Bonaparte ordered the arrest of the anonymous author of Justine, and neither Saad nor the publisher were in any doubt that the book was incendiary. The last-minute reversal seems to have been a doomed attempt to fend off such attacks. In La Nouvelle Justine... Saad took a very different approach. Told over ten volumes, the previously published storyline takes us to the ends of volume four. Justine completes the recounting of her sorry tale and then reclines in comfort at her sister's house, unmolested by lightning bolts, while Julieta offers her own stories told across the next six volumes. At the end of volume ten, we return to Justine and an audience of Julieta's friends who have gathered to listen to her sister's tales including having heard both that Justine and her audience and her adherence to virtue are contemptible. The group throws her out into the stormy night. Uh, Let me go through what it is in the story. Uh, Okay. All right, uh, those are sort of the interesting feelings. regarding fitting it for the Justine. Okay, other versions. Uh, Blue Underground's DVD, Marquis de Sade, Justine, is the definitive version, running 124 minutes. That's the one I have. In addition to George Cougar's aforementioned uh, Lourdes Drills adaptation of the same name, Justine is not to be confused with Juliette de Sade, a.k.a. Mademoiselle de Sade, Ace of Ovenzi, 1969, by Warren Kiefer, an Italian-Swedish co-production distributed in the UK by Anthony Balk under the absurd title Heterosexual. Um, Nor is it to be mistaken for Sunday Janssen's black and white Justine, 1967, an American sexploitation obscurity marked with the tagline The Erotic Excesses of Evil. And it is certainly not to be confused with AIP's biopic De Sod, 1969), directed by Sai Enfield and starring Kir Dallia, a film so tedious and ill-conceived that it makes Franco's look like a masterpiece. Yeah, I've never—I've—I really, have watched part of that film and it bored me. Uh, Problematica. Some sources credit British actor Anthony Dawson as playing Brother Clement, Brother Clement. However, this role is played by Howard Vernon. All right. So yeah, that's all the text. Quite a bit on Justine. So. Uh yes yeah, film twenty-one and uh the next episode will be um of course episode eighty-three and we will tackle the castle of Fu Manchu, uh which is film twenty-two, the film he did right after Justine, uh, which is the second Fu Manchu film. Uh Blood of Fu Manchu is the other one. We did that way back on an early episode, like number fifteen or something like that. Uh so check that out. Um yeah, so that's those two. And uh, after that, we're going to do Venus and Furs for episode 84. And lastly, uh, Eugenie is episode 85. And after those um, three, after Justine, then we jump back to episode 86, Film 86, Cocktail Special, which is the later era, Just Franco, where we're at now, about, I think, like 78, 79, somewhere around there. So, all right, so that's kind of what's going on. In the next uh, couple weeks, in the Frank Observer podcast. So be on the lookout for those episodes. Um, hang out after the break, like you usually do, the bumper music and listen to the review. Uh, it'll be myself and somebody else that you'll hear, or maybe just myself. Be on the listen and you'll see. Surprise for now. Um, also, too. Um, Check out our site on Facebook, uh, Franco Observer Podcast. We're on Instagram, Franco Observer Podcast. Uh, We have a donation button. You're always welcome to donate whatever you want to. Uh, You can also get a hold of us, if you wish, on email at FrancoObserver at Yahoo.com. And uh, always please download the episodes and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get a episode downloaded every Wednesday morning early in your inbox and it'll be there when you wake up to listen to whenever you choose uh so yeah check that out download all that good stuff subscribe uh tell your friends uh donate uh rate the episodes if you get a chance and uh spread the word please on the Frank a podcast we're getting close to episode 100 man so that's pretty darn good so let's keep pushing through and uh I'll be looking forward to doing number 100, so... And I hope you are around to listen to, so... All right, we'll hang out, pass the bumper music, and you will hear the review of Justine. Buenas noches. Hello, buddies, fellow Franco fans. It is I, your host, Jason Rudy, from Desperate Visions Productions. A Sacramento, California-based filmmaking group, and uh, just doing some editing on Lady Hyde, and I've been happy with it. Working uh, the last four days, knocking that out after a little break, and uh, looking good, feeling good, and happy with all the results that I've done on that. So, good sailing ahead, and uh, may the demon winds of Pazuzu blow me to my destination. Board my dream sailboat, like we love in the Jess Franco films. Uh, speaking of sailboats, not to jump the list or anything, but this film right here uh, for episode 82, film 21, the first time he ever made Justine, his first Marquis de Sade film. This was Marquis de Sade's Justine. Um, And yeah, there's no sailboats in this film, which is crazy, or no boats at all, but that's going to be on the list later, and that's a little sneak preview, so Uh, yeah, so as you listened earlier in the beginning uh, to Justine, and I'm going to go ahead and knock this review out by myself, and uh, in lieu of time, so I stay on track and keep the episodes weekly. Uh, because, uh, person who's going to help me out on this one is on vacation right now. So instead of waiting, I figured I would just knock it out. So, uh, and she's having a great time. So all is good. So, all right, this is Justine and, uh, I just got done watching it literally like maybe 10 minutes ago. Uh, well, I watched it and then I watched the, uh, documentary on the blue underground, um, I've had this DVD. Well, let's see, this came out in 2002. I've had this DVD since about 2002. Um, I used to work at a video store and the copy I'm holding in my hand now is the DVD version by blue underground. And I think I'm going to go out and get the blu-ray very soon. Um, I really, really, really like this film a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of the Marquis de Sade and read of his, many of his, uh, literature books and all that stuff. And, um, uh, really dig it and this film really captured the uh, spirit of the Marquis de Sade and um, yeah I was, I was really impressed very lavish film and uh, you know much better than I thought because like I said I had this disc since uh, shit about 20 years now and uh, I'd watched it maybe once back then maybe a part of a second time and I didn't really think too highly of it but uh, yeah watching it to, uh, tonight uh, of course 20 years later as a Big, big, Just Franco fan. Way more than I was twenty years ago. Uh, I, I really, I really dug this film, and I would say, out of uh, let's see, this is episode eighty-two, and I've done eighty-three, so I'd say out of about eighty-eight, I'm gonna say ninety Franco films. This has to be maybe my top fifteen or so. So, um, yeah, big, big, big new fast fan of Justine. So, like I always do, I'm gonna go into the synopsis of it. Kind of tell you the little uh, rundown of the film. Um, it's cool too because the version of this is Blue Underground. This is the definitive cut. And when it was cut, when it was released to us, they cut it by thirty minutes because uh, it was like two hours, and they cut it by thirty minutes and put on double bill and really fucked with it. But the Blue Underground version restored the full cut of the film. It's like uh, two hours and four minutes with the intro and outro music and uh, original title cards and everything and it looks really good so yeah I was really happy with this so alright here we go uh, synopsis the Marquis de Sade is sent to prison at the Bastille uh, inflamed with the rage of his fantasies he begins writing in a convent Justine and her sister Juliet are informed that their father has died since the church no longer receives his money the girls are put out on the street Juliette, practical and worldly, heads for a brothel run by Madame de Bresson. Justine, however, is shy and innocent, and cannot bear to stay. In the city square, she encounters a, ca- a Catholic priest who offers to look after her money and sends her to find sanctuary at the end of his friend, Monseigneur de, Harpoon, de Harpin. However, the innkeeper has never heard of the priest, and Justine realizes she's been conned out of all of her worldly wealth. Du Harpin offers her work as a maid. A tenant tries to molest her, but she resists. She's accused of stealing from a tenant, Monsignor de Roche, and carted off to prison where she meets Madame Dubois, a murderess. Dubois escapes, taking Justine with the intention of pimping her. When Duguay's gang try to rape the girl, Justine flees. She meets Raymond, a handsome young painter, who wins her trust. However, soldiers come looking for her, and she is forced to flee again. Julieta, meanwhile, is busy with a plot to steal a vast amount of money from one of her clients. In the woods, Justine meets a rich nobleman, the Marquis de Bressac, who is also frolicking with his male lover. He takes Justine back to his mansion and employs her as his wife's maid. The Marquis is planning to kill his wife. Upon succeeding, he frames Justine for the murder. She is branded with an M for murderous and released. Justine seeks help at a monastery where, unbeknownst to her, monks known as the Brethren indulge in all manner of sadistic debauchery. They claim Justine... I'm sorry, they chain Justine and torture her. Brother Antonin, the leader of the Brethren, recognizes in in Justine the true face of suffering. Here's a girl who feels it is her spiritual duty to endure a night of agony for Justine and joyful wickedness for Antonin is brought to an unexpected end when lightning strikes the monastery. Justine escapes and makes her way back to Paris. She is taken in by Madame de who now runs a burlesque nightclub. Justine is made to stand naked on the stage. The M branded into her flesh is spotted by a crowd, and they bay for her to be executed. When she all seems lost, Julieta, who has married into wealth, steps in and rescues her sister. Justine is reunited with Raymond and lives happily ever after. Back in his cell, in the Bastille, the Marquis de Sade runs his hand across his face in anguish. And crosses out the last line of his manuscript. So, yeah, that was the film, The Marquis de Sade's Justine. And, uh, yeah, like I said, um, kind of went into it, kind of thinking, okay, uh, watch this, you know, for the podcast and see what it is. I was thinking it was going to be like, uh, kind of boring, kind of overblown, you know, melodrama. But, uh, no, it was re- really well made. Um, Like you could tell, there's a lot of stuff I was thinking while I was watching it, um, that uh, a lot of the 80s, uh, maybe 70s, 80s, like Victorian movies and that kind of took a lot from this. You can kind of see, you know, the powdered wigs and uh, architecture and everything, just the the storyline and the the sneaking in and out of different houses, the noble houses and that and and, uh, going, it's like that storyline has been done quite a bit before, um, later on seventies eighties and uh yeah, you like it with erotic comedies and, and uh victorian films and those type of uh powdered wig films so yeah it was it was it was good i i uh like i said i really really liked it um okay, let me think we're gonna go over here all right, so this was film twenty one uh starts off again you see the famous castle shot that you see um later for dr fu Manchu. And, uh, I think Succubus, possibly. But definitely for, uh, Justine and Castle Fu Manchu. And then the castle he uses quite a bit later on. It's funny you see that really fast. Um, and see, so, yeah, so I'll go over the list stuff later. Um, I really liked, uh, starting off, I really liked, even though he's only in it, like for... Okay, now, Harry Allen Tower says they got Klaus Kinsey for, like, a half day. Uh, because of his rate and everything. And, because I think he'd just done, um... Uh, a fistful of dollars or f- for a few dollars more and, and it was doing a lot of Italian sp- spaghetti westerns and that and so he's he had his high day rate and uh supposedly they got him for half a day day rate and then just kind of shot a long day Franco said it was bullshit they got him for two days one day interior one day exteriors but I don't know I, th- I believe Harry Allen Towers because he just they had him for a really cool nice um uh horse carriage shot like a like a like like a nice stagecoach kind of he's backseated there he's coming coming across a bridge and it's a nice shot of him looking at the camera kind of burns the lens and uh, he kind of goes into his cell which is a nice thing and they, you can tell that it was maybe done one or two takes it's not like it's a major thing because he has no dialogue in the film too which is funny because the next film he does farm Count Dracula uh, I guess he was under the impression it wasn't a a Dracula film or whatever is what Harry on the Tower says but I don't know if that's true but uh but yeah he has no di- no dialogue in that film either which is interesting that the two films that he's in uh he has no dialogue except later on when he's um Jack the Ripper I know he talks in that I believe so but anyway back to this um yeah so uh he uh has no dialogue in that and they bring him in and it's all the scenes are him just in the cell and it's all just out-of-focus shots, in-focus, zoom in, zoom out, and then just him reacting to things and writing. So, yeah, I, I can see that taking a half day or maybe a day at the most. So, yeah, it's it's not that hard. So that's interesting, and I guess he was pissed because uh, they put him in top billing, even though he's you know, only, sh- only shot for half a day, and everybody else has shot so much more. So he's only, you know, I should say, and Klaus Kinski or something, or with Klaus Kinski. But, uh, yeah, anyway. But, yeah, he, uh, he is a good marquee de he, he looks great. Um, I'm not sure what the Marquis saw looked like, but um, to be honest with you off the top of my head, I'm sure I've seen a drawing or something, but yeah, but uh, the vision of Klaus Kinski with the powdered wig and the shade face and uh, that time frame, I guess he's maybe in his thirties or something. He, he looks really cool. So yeah, he's a good Marquis saw for this good, good casting. I guess too, they had said that um, they had Orson Welles lined up, but he didn't want to do it because it was an erotic film. And I guess, he thought it was going to be worse than it was, or I don't know what he was thinking, but so he dropped out. But yeah, I, I can see Orson Wells as that, kind of that 60s stunt casting. Oh yeah, one other thing I was going to say too when I watch this, um, and I haven't really read this anywhere else, so I'm sure maybe somebody else has said this, or maybe not, or maybe it's just like, a oh yeah, shit, I never thought about that. But yeah, like watching this in 68, of course this came after um, Lolita, but um, you could tell that it was kind of a, thing like that or like because uh, I don't I think let's see this is 68 yeah so the Emmanuel book had already hit I believe at this time and uh like I am curious Yellow all and all that like they have those the Swedish sex films and that were starting to starting to make their way in around and uh, you could tell this movie of like all these older men lusting for this younger woman that has to kind of always escape them and go from one adventure to the next and all these like a uh, kind of a um, Alice in Wonderland type thing, where she's going to a different alien environment. Uh, you know, uh, these noblemen, and she's serving. and She goes in these costumes and wears these different wardrobes and takes on these different forms. And you know, from the powdered wig serving the um, milady, and then the the the, the washerwoman in the beginning, the servant and the uh, work of the maid and the nuns and in the monastery and, and everything, and then working up to the brothel and and going away from that and to the stage show and the prison and all that, and all her different wardrobes and that. It's uh, kind of interesting. It's almost like Alice in Wonderland or like that type of um, uh, Lolita or candy by uh, Terry Southern, you know, and they did the film actually is right after this, I believe. So, uh, but yeah, I, I kind of noticed that whole sixties kind of, uh, you know, erotic comedy, kind of nasty comedy kind of deal. So yeah, that was interesting. Um, but yeah, so you have a lot of that. Uh, Frank also said that this was like, I guess, the most expensive film he's done. I don't know if, if rate inflation or what, like with maybe Faceless would be w- more. But uh, but yeah, this was still under about hundred, or still under one million dollars uh, back in '68, and they shot it in like seven weeks. But yeah, you can tell it's a really good budget. They got a lot of good names in it. Like uh, we're Mar- um, talking about performances. Um, of course, Klaus Kinski is good. Romina Power as Justine, the lead, you know, it's like her, one of her first movies. She's 17, I guess. Uh, but I'm not sure if she's really 17 because she's nude like quite a bit in it, so that's interesting. Um, Maria Rome, of course, is gorgeous and fantastic and great actress and really coolness as Julieta. And watching this film, even though she's in it in portions, bookends it in a little bit in the middle, it really is like the book Justine and Julieta. So, um, yeah, I thought uh, Justine... And and Juliet was, could have been the actual title of it but uh, I, I really enjoyed the Justine and Juliet so um, and then Rosemary Dexter played Claudine a prostitute and I guess she was originally supposed to play uh, Justine but uh, yeah she was kind of like uh, um, Anne, Anne Liebert kind of later on I noticed it was very similar to her in look and in texture and in tone so um, yeah she's the one that runs off with Maria Rome and then Maria Rome kills her uh, okay, then we have, um, let's see, Carmen Delir- uh Akim Tamaroff, he's kind of jokey and this kind of cartoonish, uh, but he's okay. Um, Mercedes McCambridge is fucking awesome in this as Madame de Um Of course, she's later the voice of uh, Possessed Reagan, and I believe like Pazuzu, and all that from The Exorcist, and she's really good with this as Madame de There's a couple times where she really emphasizes her voice when she's speaking to uh Justine real close to her face kind of like well you know these talk like this and then they voice it here, and she kind of changes her voice a few times and you could tell like I read that uh you know that was a good choice for her with that film because she's really great in this and uh she was a drinker as uh was uh, Jack Plants and supposedly Jack Plants was like loaded on set he'd get up at 7am and start drinking wine and uh, you could tell after I knew that watching this you could tell he's drunk in the film but uh, Jack Plants kicks ass in this fucking film as uh, Brother Antonon. I really enjoyed him a lot he does narration with his beautiful voice uh, later on and uh, Ripley's believe it or not so you get to hear Jack Plants do cool narration in parts uh and he speaks very softly as Jack Palance likes to do and in Justine he does that on the narration so yeah, I, I really enjoyed that and he's somebody that I wish to study and watch more of Jack Palance, uh 60s, 70s films because um, I did um, what was it? Um, Emmanuel and the Deadly Black Cobra uh, which he's in, really great and uh he's somebody that's always in a lot of cool films. So yeah, definitely a big Jack Plants fan here. Uh all right, so who else do we have in this? That's really cool. Oh yeah, and then we have uh, I was I popped when I saw uh, Mike Brindell again. Uh Mike Mike Brindel, a cool early tough guy looking hatchet faced dude, uh, in the early Jess Franco films who later uh uh Franco turned and got another guy that reminded me of him later. Um uh I just spaced his name in the erotic phrase. Writes Frankenstein and, and uh, has a big scar on his face and the, the tough guy. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so, but, uh, but yeah, he kind of reminds me of him. So that was pretty cool. Uh, who else? Do I like this uh, horse. Frank uh, is good. Um, Howard Vernon, of course, is not in it very much His brother Clement, but he's good with his black wig and his outfit. He kind of had a cool Gothic kind of a, uh, look later. I thought he looked like he could be in a band, like in the 80s or 90s. Definitely very cool in this film. Um, oh God, how can I forget Rosalbenieri? Rosal is in this as uh, Floretta, a companion, and you see her like uh, her and the other three girls, in here have capes as part of the uh, four good men, which is my favorite part of the film. With uh, uh, they have the they film these gaudy architecture scenes. There's like two gaudy uh, Anton and gaudy. The uh, famous architect from Spain, amazing, amazing things uh, in his locations here. Just beautiful architecture, beautiful locations. And speaking of beautiful, she's in part of that location, and she's wearing a cape, and her breasts of the dress are cut out, so it's just her boobs are sticking through. And uh, Rosalba Neri's greatness. She has like chains across her, and and uh, she's wearing like a cape, like a vampire. And her breasts are hanging out of this dress. So beautiful makeup. So you cannot see anything wrong with her so she uh, yeah she's she's really great in this and um, it's interesting because in the end she has a chance to escape the location but she feels like she's either a sadist or a masochist where she has to just she's part of the environment she can't leave or she doesn't want to leave or she thinks she's powerless to leave or she's a prisoner in her own mind or whatever so she doesn't leave with uh, Justine but uh, yeah I thought her, her part was really good she explains herself and how long they've been there and everything and uh she's chained up in the dungeon and all that but she, I guess she seems to get off on that so um which they talk about that of the the um the uh eroticism of the enduring, you know, the taking the pain and enduring and the becoming pleasure out of the endurance of pain. So it's almost a thing interesting, which is uh distills to a lot of things. The Rakita Sawd found that out with the pain of um Situations, or pain of injury or pain and fighting or like in wrestling where you get to a certain pain and you just snap or go crazy or submit or either submit or you break through and go to the next side and indulge in the pain. And I, secretly I think people get into relationships because they want that pain or, or they get into bad environments or something even though they know it's going to have a bad ending. They still know, it, they say, oh yeah, I knew I shouldn't have dated that girl or dated that guy or or i shouldn't have got that job or i shouldn't have walked into that place i had a bad feeling but they they but they want those things even though it's it's really, really interesting so yeah Marquita saw it tapped on certain of those subliminal and, and subconscious things that we do to ourselves are either willing or unwilling so but yeah it's interesting in this film but yeah you see a lot of that with her um and let's see what else we have in this uh jack plant's narration that was awesome um, the, the, the bathing scene I liked with, um, uh, Julietta, she kills, uh, uh Claudine and after she, they both kill that woman. So yeah, it's a lot of the Marquita Sad feeling in this of everybody's using everybody all the time and you're only as good as until you serve your purpose to that other person and they go on to the next person. They just use and use and it's all about getting off and getting and getting getting on somebody, you know, but yeah. Also, too, as uh, the lead, which made me think too. Uh, Justine, she, uh, uh, Romina Power, she reminded me a lot of um, Susan Hemingway later on in uh, Love Letters of a Portuguese Nun and uh, the Eugenie that she does later, which is interesting. Or Justine, I forgot which one she does later, but uh, yeah, you can tell. Even though Franco, I guess, didn't like her, Romina Power. It's interesting they got Susan Hemingway, who looks a lot like her. It has that innocent look to her, so it was interesting. Um, what else do I like in this? Um, yeah, definitely, gaudy architecture was amazing. Um, oh, man, the acu—it's acupun- not really acupuncture—but when uh, I guess Rosalba Neri is quote-unquote torturing uh, Ju- Justine, she's basically putting needles in her back, and there's like chain. She's chained down, and there's like Rosalba Neri, and, like, pulls out the needle and like kisses. Her back. Each time she pulls the needle out, almost has a hellraiser look with the needles and the chains and the beautiful face. And uh, but yeah, it was interesting. I was like, wow. Uh, any the many acupuncturists I've went to over the time i have never done the acupuncture, the Neary style. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. Also, too, a cool scene when Jack Palance is wheeled in on a cart. Instead of walking, he's kind of gliding into this the gaudy architecture. Uh, when they're getting ready to sacrifice Justine before the lightning bolt hits and uh, that effect is very cool and and Franco uses it later on in um, Virgin Among the Living Dead and a couple of I forgot what off the top of my head but he uses it like two or three times where they're moving across without having to walk. It gives that nice glide look effect on certain otherworldly scenes. Um, That one of course is Howard Vernon with the uh, noose around his neck in Virgin Mount Living Dead and then I think um, they do one of uh, oh and um, it's um, oh yeah that's what it is Howard Vernon in, in um, that's what it is the noose is in um, the other side of the mirror and then um, Paul Mueller is, is also in with the with the uh, the noose in uh, Virgin Mount Living Dead that's what it is so, yeah so, so those two so they do it here to the glide with that but of course without the noose so yeah uh, what else I like, oh yeah, the cool the the resolve in the, area. the two women are chained to kind of like these sideway crosses kind of x cross like in uh necronovicon slash succubus, and Harry on towers liked that, so you could tell they kind of wanted to ape that look, which I thought that was pretty cool and use it for this um and what else do I like here uh two gals the band, number seven, Jess on stage, oh yeah, Jess on stage was pretty funny uh as the kind of the comic. Um, and it was interesting too how in the end uh, Justine thought the moral was that only the wicked prosper because here she is you know going through the, all the stuff she did of being a virtuous person and all these trials and tribulations that were thrown upon her and all this guilt of killing people that she didn't kill and and blame for things she didn't blame but meanwhile her sister killed this woman and killed the guy and they stole the money and she killed her accomplice that helped her and. And she slept with a nobleman and got all this money and meanwhile she was a wicked whatever person and she rose while her sister thing and she said, Well no, you you endured so now you are being rewarded and so of course she got to live with her and and the love of her life that really cared for her, the artist, uh um Humbert or whatever his name was, uh basically, you know, got to be with her again. Um or Hebrew, and got to you know be with her again and, and and live happily ever after in this castle and stuff. But yeah, it was interesting that it's like even if you live, it's almost a perspective where it's whatever choice you choose, you almost arrive at the same point. So it's whatever. It's, it's all just it's all the perspective whether you want to be a virtuous person and believe in God and and be moral and and do the right thing and you know be a certain path or whether you think that you should just do what thou will and and indulge in every excess and whether you hurt people or don't hurt people that's besides your point uh you will arrive at a certain point as well so it's really interesting and and i i liked the view they took of this and showed everything on equal manner and did not judge and left it open to interpretation so i i really enjoyed that and i i really liked it a lot and uh I thought it was very intellectual and very interesting film, and uh, really not really erotic or as much, just a lot of great nudity, which was a nice change of pace because, oh uh, yeah, speaking of that, first nudity in this film is at uh, 2 minutes 31 seconds, which is good because you're back on the Franco track because these early films, these first you know 25 films or so, not a lot of nudity, so it's good with this being film, uh, was it, 21, and he's already like, going fucking full bang with the Beautiful naked ladies. So, all right. Speaking of beautiful naked ladies, uh, let's go with the Franco list. A uh, list of things that I find that I usually add to um, over time that we always see in just Franco films. Ingredients, situations, uh, questions we ask and go over things and see what we find. So, here we go. Franco list. Um, item number one. Body of water. You know, this film doesn't have a lot of body of waters to it. Very, very few. Um, You finally see the first one uh, where they're building the stage for her, Madame de Guad be executed. Uh, You see a body of water in the distance. And then later on, you see a lot of fountains um, and uh, like maybe one other body of water. And that's about it. You don't see no number two or number three, no sailboat, no boats at all in this film. Um, yeah, so no sailing of boats or going in ports or anything like that. It's very landlocked film. So very, no water, no sailboats, no dreams. Uh, number four, palm trees. Not really as much. I think I saw a few, but, but a lot of other trees, a lot of, a lot of forest and going, you know, through a lot of, uh, for a lot of foliage and a lot of trees, but, uh, palm trees, not as much, but definitely lots of trees in this film. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. No, not really, no jungles, because she's running, you know, from, uh, I think this was supposed to take place in France or somewhere. Um, so, yeah, not, definitely not that. Uh, number six, chained up person. Yes, very much so. A lot of chained up people in this film, whether in the Marquis de imagination, right in the beginning, at, uh, what was it, 2 minutes 31 seconds, you see, uh was it, 15, 16, oh yeah, red lights, and... uh Number six, chained up person. Yeah, you see a lot of red. red this film has lots of colored lights, but yeah, you see the red light and the chained up person right off the bat. So definitely a lot of chained up people. His imagination. You have uh, uh, Justine j- chained up a lot. Rosalba Neri's chained up. The other two women in the ba- basement's chained up. Um, yeah, a lot of people chained up in this film. Uh, number seven, dance scenes on stage stripping. It surprised me right in the end when uh, they have Julieta and uh, Madame uh, kidnaps her again for the second time, and she takes her into the traveling show, and she's naked on stage. Before that, there's two girls on stage that are in kind of like this uh, kind of cat-looking or some kind of animal leotard with makeup on. and They're kind of doing a dance where they're naked on stage. And there's a big crowd of people clapping and stuff, so that was really cool because uh, you haven't seen that for a little bit. And now we have the dance scenes on stage stripping again. Well, no stripping. They're any naked. And uh club scenes dancing. No no dancing in this film, but uh yeah, you do have the audience watching the two naked girls putting on the show. So jazz music number nine, not really jazz, more of a classical score, a really good Bruno Nicolai score. Um that's a really strong bit of music all the way through. So yeah, really good with this. Number ten, excessive zooms, number eleven, out of focus shots. Yes, definitely both on this, especially in the beginning, and the Marquis de Sade. Cell uh, mostly in those sequences, like the first f- five, six minutes, whatever, a lot of zooming in and zooming out out of focus, but it's done to show his more mental state and to show things that he's seeing and, and what's more inside of him and his sensations and his feelings compared to just zooming in and out and doing quick shots, you know, it actually meant something. It actually uh, has meaning to it, his, his flashes and his, his feeling, you know, so... Being an artist, I could identify what he was going for, so very good. Uh, number 13, mind control theme. Well, yeah, if you have Christianity or, or, or you know, that type of heavy um, religious upbringing like she has, raised in a monastery and that, where she she can't, you know, do anything with her body, then yeah, that's the mind control theme of religion, so yeah, there's definitely a mind control theme of that type. Number 14, magic tongue scenes. No magic tongue, but you do have Rosalba Neri's magic lips, <laughs> which might be a new one. And like I said, the scene where she pulls the pulls the um, needles out and kisses her back. But I looked real close because I watched the scene twice because it was an amazing scene. But yeah, no magic tongue, but magic lips. Rosana, Rosalba, Neri, Rosalba Neri's magic lips. So yeah. 15, red light. Oh, hell yeah. There's red lights in this. Red lights, green lights, purple lights. Uh, red, purple, green. What else we have in there? Orange lights. A lot, a lot of a lot of colored lights in this film. It's like way heavy colored lights all the way through, for the red scenes, the brothel to the colored scenes in the dungeon. To the every time she laid down, there's a purple light on her face, and just lots of colored lights in almost every scene in this film. Every interior scene. Uh, number 16, Sheepskin Rug. Nothing like that. No masturbation scenes. No, no, nothing like that. Uh, 17, Mad Scientist. Uh, no. Eh, creative. Only Mad Scientist this is Klaus Kinski type, as Marquis saw, but he's a creative type, so no Mad Scientist. Uh, 18, Fish Tank Shot. No Fish Tank shots, but plenty of shooting through colored glass. Kind of like a uh, Mad Scientist type, but yeah, nothing of a fish tank talking parrot or animals, nope number 20, in credits, yes or no yes, in credits, there's in the credits, but it doesn't say the end but there is definitely in credits at, at the film uh, number 21, handwritten notes uh, no, of course there's his journal he writes in and that, but no cheesy signs on doors because this is like a uh, supposed to take place I think in the 18th century, so yeah it's everything's all on the up and up so nothing cheesy on that 'cause it's budget. You don't need to have cheap things. Number twenty three, inept cops. Yeah, you have a lot of the ineptity of them losing the prisoners and them getting away and but them always chasing them and finding them. So they're they're pretty good, but they are inept because they got away. Oh also too they're inept because uh, Madame de Guy escapes along with Justine, but Justine's the one that's caught later on because of the M on her but Madame de meanwhile runs the whole show. She's killed people and her sister uh, Julieta killed multiple people and rose up and never got arrested. So, yeah, there's inept cops in this, definitely. 24 belly chains. Didn't see any belly chains because, like I said, 18th century, not really belly chains. 25 kinks. Well, let's see. Marquita sod, So, there's. Uh, the the master of the kink right there, so there's, yeah, so much in this, Um, I didn't really pay a lot to attention, because I was just digging the story but yeah, there's definitely S&M, there's torture there's uh, pain, there's uh, there's um, you know uh, at the time, it was uh, homosexuality with two men, there's and of course the the two women there's uh, uh, lot, lots of different um you know uh, uh religious blasphemy there's just this so much just layers and layers of this there's quite a few there's i would say maybe i don't know ten or fifteen or there's just qu- quite a bit so yeah definitely definitely worth uh noting of that very classically done uh number twenty six great headboards yeah, I made a note actually because one caught my attention um uh, what did I catch? Great headboards 26. Julieta's uh, oh yeah, uh, Claudine uh, Claudine's headboard. When Julieta uh, first leaves and gets the brothel and she hooks up with Claudine and they're sitting in, the, in the, their bed listening to the lovers next door before they kill them and steal the money. Um, they have a fucking, she has a really cool headboard with like flowers and everything all on it. Really, really nice. So that one caught my attention. I had to note it and write it down. Um, yeah I was going to say two again of oh, Jack Palance Jack Palance in this film he's so good really really uh, surprised me how good he was which which was stupid because I always know he's good but I thought he was going to be a little more low key in this Or, but drunk, drunk Jack Palance is pretty awesome so uh, and finally number 27 oh wait, actually no I skipped one 22 Spiral Staircase Shot no okay uh, finally number t- last one number 27 Fear or desire. That's, this film is both because it's the other side of the coin. Justine fears, uh, hell. She, she fears the consequences she feels of what will happen to her. If she indulges in sin or if she strays from her path or she, she fears the desire. And meanwhile, um, uh, has a desire she longingly leaves the monastery her path takes her to the bordello and she lets every she indulges in every desire that she feels she takes on the sensations and accepts them and it goes through everything and moving her way up the killing the desire of killing the desire of of wealth the desire of uh of uh corruption, the desire of whatever she desires, and whatever she is, she doesn't fear anything, so um she fears being homeless or being unhappy or being poor or whatever that's what she fears, so I would say this film is equally fear, equally desire, so the fear of the desire or the desire of fear so this is one of those films where it's 50 50 all down the line and it's all about perception and interpretation and how you see it. So yeah, very, very intellectual based. I I like films that you can talk about, think about, and uh, really it's more than just a surface story. It's really, it's a a philosophy and a manuscript on life and uh, psychology and, and people and relationships and and society, and repression, and so much stuff, so yeah, I really, really, uh, feel, um, inspired by this film, very good film, so I would say check it out, uh, I think there's a really nice Blu-ray that was put out by this, um, but I haven't checked it out yet, but uh, a friend of mine, uh, Ragnar, um, had talked about, uh, I guess it's like a three-disc one or something, I'm not sure who put that out, but I'll check it out, it might be, uh, might be blue underground, but I think it just went out of print, so I'll have to check it out. But we'll see because I know there are 99 women, one just went out of print, which means probably there's going to be a new distributor or something. So, all right, well, I'm going to wrap this episode up. Uh, I think I've indulged quite a bit, feel a little bit uh, tired, it's late night here, and uh, but I wanted to wrap this up by doing this episode because I really liked it uh, almost as much as I liked the. M brand on Juliet on Justine's chest. Um, the four good men, man, that's, that's going to be, I don't know the four good men. I have to kind of think about that. I might want to start the, the four good men club and maybe not have the God. I've also had some of the gaudy architecture, but don't think I can afford that or build that. So yeah, that's not going to work, but yeah, definitely inspired. Very good film. And, uh, I give it a high review. Like I said, it's on my, franco top 15 list now of uh approximately 85 or 90 films that i've seen of franco so yeah it's in the upper echelon check it out uh high quality stuff and uh another high quality thing is a little something called a donation button if you're high quality uh or if you're not please feel free to donate uh one time or reoccurring time i've already had uh one person take the plunge and uh made me very happy and uh if you'd like to have me uh, that way as well, please feel free to donate. I would appreciate it. Uh, also, to download all the episodes, or download the one you are listening to now, and subscribe. You always have a new episode every Wednesday morning around uh, one a.m. West Coast time. Uh, always set in your down in your mailbox. I always try to do the exact same time. So it's yeah, Wednesday on on the West Coast of California, the United States of America. It's uh, 1 a.m. Wednesday mornings is always the time that Franco Observer Podcast releases into the world. And uh, if you like the uh, podcast, please tell a friend and share the information. And let them know that uh, if they like Jess Franco or they like hearing about Jack Palance or uh Neary or, uh, you know, uh, Lena Romay or, or uh, just, you know, everybody sold out Miranda Paul Mueller talk about them all on this show and there's always plenty of content for you to listen to because like I said this is episode 82 and I just recorded 83 already so that's like quite a fit of uh, quite a fit of listening to there so yeah there's probably like shit hundred and something hours there already that I've got a pile because each one's an hour plus usually so yeah you definitely got a lot to listen to so a lot of Franco content out there so uh figured if he can make that many films then god damn it I can observe and report and review and discuss and waxingly elongate uh, on his films or longingly waxing or whatever <clears throat> I'm sure I got it mixed around there so like I tell you it's late gotta get to sleep uh, tell a friend, I tell you that. Also, too, if you want to get a hold of us, you can at uh, FrancoObserver at yahoo.com. Uh, you can also get a hold of us on Facebook at uh, FrancoObserver or The Franco Observer on Instagram. Uh, also, too, got uh got sh- shirts I'm selling of Lena and Jess, artwork and other cool things. Uh, you can check those out on uh, Redbubble. We got the t-shirts there for sale, got eight different designs and got some other ones too. And we we'll to be adding some more sold a few, um, up to Montreal, Quebec. So, uh, appreciate that. And, uh, I've been seeing those posted on, uh, um, Instagram and that's really, really cool. So that's very good. All right. Uh, let me think one last thing which I haven't done for a while is to, uh, do the Franco mission statement and, uh, of course, that is uh, praise and in memory of Jess Franco, bringing the names and films of Jesus Franco to new eyes and ears, which I think I have done my part and I will keep doing my part uh, as long as there's an audience and as as there are Franco fans and people that listen all the time or some of the time and support the podcast or tell people about it, I will continue to produce and put out content and uh give that back as much as i can so thank you all for listening and uh may you have a a very good day or evening and uh, may peace be with you and may a song be in your heart and may you have a love to yourself that you will always love when it's not